Our gospel today comes from John chapter 1. <clears throat> the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and he said to him, we have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. <clears throat> what does it mean for God to call on you? Maybe even call you into hard but needed truth telling. How does it feel for God to search you out? To know you before you were born? How do we hear our readings today that our bodies matter, our actions matter, that our bodies are part of the greater body of Christ, temples of the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to dismiss someone before you know them? What about for Jesus to know you before you knew him? For Jesus to know your prejudices, your brokenness, your heart, and still, and still call you into this relationship, into this discipleship, into this journey. Our reactions to these readings today may bring us comfort and in the relationship we have with God and with one another, but there is also a discomfort here as we look closer at each of our readings. In Samuel's story, we hear of a young boy who is called by God, where God calls his name over and over until finally Samuel answers, speak, for your servant is listening. And the first thing that God does when Samuel finally responds is to task Samuel with a most uncomfortable calling. Samuel must go to his father figure, to a man he cares for and loves, to Eli, to tell him a very hard truth. It's the truth that God is finally going to punish Eli for the actions of his family because Eli knew that his sons were blaspheming against God, which is to say speaking lies about God, insulting or showing contempt against God. And at this point in scripture, there wasn't a lot of punishing for blasphemy happening, actually. God wasn't doing this all the time like we see in earlier parts of scripture in our Old Testament, God just wasn't 
doing this. We even hear in the first Samuel reading that visions and prophets weren't really happening right then. And so it made me wonder, like, what kind of blasphemy are we talking about here that it's enough to get God so upset and so angry that God has to punish Eli? And maybe it was because Eli was considered righteous by so many. He's clearly uh, serving in the temple of the Lord. Maybe that's why God is particularly upset. Maybe it's because Eli is complicit in allowing his sons to behave this way. Maybe their blasphemy is having untold repercussions. We don't really know for sure. We just know that whatever it is, it's enough that God has to take some kind of action. And, and so we listen to Samuel, who is called son by Eli, tell him this really uncomfortable truth. And as we look towards on the 15th, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday and tomorrow, this commemoration of his life, this holiday weekend that we have, the quote that stood out to me the most this week from Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King was, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. For Samuel, this would have been a moment of challenge and controversy. And the measure of Samuel, who is not yet a man in our story, is one of a trustworthy prophet. Because in the comfort and hope of a story of call, as we too say and sing, here I am, Lord, speak for your servant is listening throughout worship services. Samuel listens and speaks the truth he is called to. Not in comfort, but he is afraid. He does this holding on to the fear of telling the truth, knowing that it could change the relationship he has with Eli, knowing that even by speaking it out loud, it makes it real, but knowing he must. This reading today is a reminder, and in the wake of the Capitol riots on the 6th and the aftermath, as we learn about more truth, as leaders of ELCA churches in Washington, D.C. and Texas and more areas are being told by their bishops this last week that they must stream worship from home today due to concern over possible violence against churches. As we read the news that state prosecutors believe those involved with last week's insurrection that there are at least some of them or many of them that were there to capture and assassinate our country's leaders. As we deal with all of the news, all of the facts and questions and opinions all coming at us, as we deal with this week where we remember a great leader who fought for truth and equity and equality for all, as we look towards inaugurations and the political landscape of our country, I'm really grateful for this reading today. Because this is a reminder that God does call out to us, maybe not as explicitly as he does with Samuel, but it's not just pastors or bishops or church leaders who are called to speak truth. It's anyone and everyone, even a young boy. God calls us and calls us to speak. Sometimes there is great comfort in hearing God's call. 
in hearing God's call to speak truth and love and light and hope into the world. But often it calls us into comfort and in, or into discomfort and inconvenience. God rarely calls anyone into comfortable roles in this world. And so what does it mean for God to call on you? Maybe even to call you into hard but needed truth-telling, into necessary conversations, into sharing the love and light and hope of God, even in the midst of the terribleness that we're seeing in our news cycles. And then it moves us into our psalm, which is one of my personal favorites for a lot of reasons. I give Tori credit. I think that she was reading from potentially the King James Version. There were a lot of thous and arts and thighs. Um, I've always read it either from the NRSV or the message, and um, it's one of my favorites. And when I first read Psalm 139 years ago, when I wasn't truthful, to who I was when I felt like a part of my identity was being hidden away. I honestly didn't know how to read this psalm. It felt jarring that God knew me inside and out, that God kept searching me out even when I wasn't interested in being found. It was on internship when I was asked to speak for a woman's luncheon that I had to really wrestle with my discomfort around this psalm since that was the psalm that was, they were using for their luncheon and I was asked to speak on it. Thank God, it also ended up happening to be my graduation from seminary that same weekend as the event and I wasn't originally planning to go to my graduation but was convinced by my mom and my supervisor so I would be absent from that luncheon. and. Instead of trying to find a new speaker, they asked if I could just record a, a speaking time. Um, and so I recorded myself ahead of time, which may be the first pre-recorded church speaking I did in that way, which was good practice for 2020, I guess. And so rather than writing out a manuscript of what I would say, and I just recorded myself reading over the psalm again and again, talking about my reactions to it. And after several hours, I found comfort in my discomfort. I also found a lot of tears. <laughs> There's a lot of crying that happened in that. I cut most of the crying out of the video. Because in reading Psalm 139, it's a reminder to us that who we are, how our bodies are made, it's not wrong. It's not broken. God knew us from before we were born, all of us, all the good and all the bad and all that we could be, and God still searches us out. God still lays a hand over us and encompasses us, and God still sees our bodies for all the flaws that we think we have, and God still calls us God's own. This psalm reminds us, each and every one of us, that God doesn't stop searching us out because of our failures, our brokenness, or our bodies, but God sees all of us and sees us as sacred children to be cared for and followed. How does it feel for God to search you out, to know you before you were born? We move into another piece about our bodies in our First Corinthians reading from Paul, which has a very different tone, obviously, than Psalm 139, because, you know, it's Paul, and his lens is around celibacy and bodily purity, which doesn't always coincide with scripture, but 
For Paul, he was trying to help a church whose members were washed and sanctified by the Holy Spirit, but were behaving in ways that were harmful to themselves and to others. And he does this in the only way that Paul knows how, sternly. Warning against sort of a cheap grace where forgiveness is expected, and so the actions we take with our bodies do not reflect our faith in one who searches out and loves our bodies. Particularly for Paul here, he preaches against participating in sex trafficking, and in the previous verses of this chapter, he includes those who commit idolatry, adultery, and pedophilia. And maybe this is obvious to us as people of faith, called by one who keeps promises to us, who cares for the least of these. Of course, these things should be denounced. It's obvious. For me, the lesson I can take from Paul today is this, that not only does God know and love our bodies, our, our whole selves, as we learn in Psalm 139, but that our bodies matter to God. That we're filled with the Holy Spirit, God makes our bodies God's own. And our bodies aren't meant to be taken for granted, to be used to harm others or ourselves, but rather to be part of our call as people of God, as part of the entire body of Christ. And it makes me wonder how we can hear this today during the midst of a pandemic, as many of us are staying at home, have not been able to go to the gym or to do our usual kind of activities how we're responding to our bodies right now. How do we hear that our bodies matter, our actions matter, that our body, bodies are part of this greater body, that they're even temples of the Holy Spirit, of that holy breath of life from God? And then we arrive at John, our gospel from John. In many ways, Drawing from all of these themes and questions we found in our previous readings, while also giving us more to contend with, Jesus finds Philip and asks him simply, follow me. And Philip does. Easy peasy. But apparently shortly after Philip is not with Jesus, maybe he told Jesus, hey, I'm going to go find my friend because I think he would really enjoy getting in on this whole discipleship thing. And so Phil Philip finds Nathaniel sitting under a fig tree. And Philip, like Jesus, like Jesus called him, calls Nathaniel into this new relationship, shares the good news as he knows it with his friend. But Nathaniel says, um, can anything good come out of Nazareth? There's a sort of like uh, back-ended prejudice that his own brokenness and his own heart kind of show here. And in many ways, Nathaniel sort of acts as an audience surrogate, right? For the first audience hearing the gospel, many of them would have heard Jesus of Nazareth and would have images of what they expect from people of Nazareth. There is sort of an overarching prejudice that people might not have even thought about, but was there. And so Nathaniel sort of acts as the audience first hearing, first reading, first learning of the gospel and the responses that we were likely to have, which was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And it's a good reminder for us because you can really insert anything in place of Nazareth, right? You can say anything and it's going to fit right in there. Can anything good come out of blank? But what I appreciate is that Philip doesn't try to argue with Nathaniel. He doesn't uh, try to like 
create a bullet pointed list of debunking Nathaniel's prejudices. He just says, you know, come and see, come and see. And as they approach Jesus, Jesus sees Nathaniel and knows him, declaring key parts of his personality, that he is a truth teller, even if that might be his own biased truths. Jesus tells Nathaniel how he saw him under the fig tree. And Nathaniel is suddenly faced with being seen, with being known by Jesus. His heart and mind is changed. He is the first disciple in John's gospel to proclaim to Jesus, you are the son of God. You are the son of God. What does it mean for us now today to dismiss someone before we know them? For Jesus to know us before we knew him. For Jesus to know our prejudices, our brokenness, our heart, and still call us into relationship, into this discipleship, into this truth-telling, especially today. The truth for me is we often don't answer God's call to us. We don't hear it. We don't recognize it. Maybe we don't think we're the ones to answer. Sometimes we don't see the values in our bodies. I know that's one that I am often guilty of. We struggle with what we believe to be our flaws, our perceived brokenness. Sometimes it's hard to be truly known. Sometimes our prejudices, our biases cloud our judgment and cloud our hearts, even causing us to be blind, to have our eyes dimmed, to need someone to say to us, come and see. Because even in all of this, we are still found. We are still searched out. We are still called people of God and invited to come and see. Come and see the one whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, the one who comes to save. Come and see Jesus, son of Nazareth, the one who will go to the cross for all of our doubts, for all of our prejudices, for all of our fears and our discomfort. Come and see the Son of God who dies and rises from the dead for us, for humans. Despite all of our ridiculousness, Jesus, the Son of God, comes to bring us the truth of love and light and hope. That's our teacher, our rabbi, our messiah. Come and see how God calls you today into truth, into discomfort, into challenges, and into relationship. Come and see how God continues to search you out, to love your heart, your body, and your mind, to be with you always. Come and see how we might together, the body of Christ in this world and in our communities, actually come together, whether that's through technology and the Holy Spirit or something new in the coming months as we hope for in-person gatherings again. Come and see. Amen.